0: Now, Bridge Kids, I want you to hang in here a couple of minutes because I have an object lesson for you. Okay, just hang in there. You know, some of you are really good at fixing things, repairing things, and building things. You know, do-it-yourselfers. Has anybody here ever hung a ceiling fan? Okay, we got a few. All right. Uh, Lowe's Hardware had a TV commercial in 2014. Some of you will remember. This sort of demonstrates my own skill level at hanging ceiling fans, so we're going to watch this. So I should boast a little bit. I've actually hung nine ceiling fans, and that never happened once. Um, but I am not uh, very good at fixing things or repairing things, mechanical things. I'm not good at plumbing. I'm not good at electrical, and I'm not good at carpentry. Some of you, though, are good at fixing things and doing things yourself. Uh, but one of the things that, that uh, commercial reminds us of No one can fix their salvation. No one can fix their own sin penalty. Uh, No one can repair the damage that sin does to our life. And that's the message the Apostle Paul was passionate about in the book of Galatians. Salvation is by grace through faith. And it's not about self-improvement or any kind of self-effort or or human effort. Bridge Kids, you can go if you want. (laughs) The problem with the Galatian churches was that they had entertained a message from an outside group, a group called Judaizers, a group that wanted, wanted to change the message of the gospel. They wanted to change that salvation was something different than by grace through faith. They wanted to add something. They wanted to add the law of the Old Testament, 613 commands given through Moses. And they wanted to add circumcision. And so circumcision was kind of the, uh, the tip. Uh, it's kind of the sign. It's kind of the symbol. And so to be saved for this group, you needed to believe in Jesus and you needed to be circumcised. Which brought you under the law of the Old Testament? The Apostle Paul was highly agitated about the wrongness of their view, and if you remember in Chapter One, here's what Paul wrote um, to the Galatians. And you know, oftentimes when Paul writes a letter, he encourages them, he's thankful for them, he greets them, he says, "I thank you in all my remembrance of you." And here's what he what he has to say. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. Paul has a strong opinion about this. He is uh, very passionate about this subject. And uh, we come to Galatians chapter 3. We're soon going to be halfway through the book. Galatians chapter 3, today verses 1 through 14, Paul's argument continues. And we're going to pick it up right now in verses 1 through 5. He starts in verse 1. You foolish Galatians. Obviously, Paul had not had any sensitivity training about writing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it is If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? So uh, if you follow on your outline in your program, the first uh, point is some people are confused about grace. Some people are confused about grace. And so Paul is going to raise a series of rhetorical questions and I get to answer them and we'll answer them together as, as he approaches this confusion about grace. First question: What is the source of the confusion? Verse one: You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's, is, is there some kind of spell that's coming come over you? Uh, are you you? Uh, it's like you're in a daze. You're not thinking. You have forgotten the most important thing. What's wrong with you guys? Don't you remember the gospel I preached to you? How I over and over, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Over and over, I told the story of how Jesus died for you. Over and over, I told you that you respond by faith. But it is a gift, that it is God's grace to you. He's done this for you. It is his work for you. And you just need to receive it by faith. You need to trust Jesus. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And this is a pretty strong theme in Paul's writings. 1 Corinthians 15 is a passage that... Uh, picks this up, but it's the same thing. He says, now, brothers and sisters, at least he didn't call them foolish Corinthians. He said, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and of which you have taken your stand by this gospel. Good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Next slide. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance you've been around here very long, you've probably seen this passage a lot of times because it's first importance that Christ died for our sins. That's why Paul proclaimed that he was crucified, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that's it. That's the gospel. That's God's work in our salvation. This is what God has done for us. We don't do we don't earn, we don't achieve by our own effort. It's the gift that God has provided for us. There is nothing more that can be added. It is complete, it is finished. That's why Paul is so agitated. He's so excited about this. Second question is this Verse 2 Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law of the Old Testament? Let's go back and think about the story, Paul. Verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. And then he asked that question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Okay, Galatians, when you became Christians, let's go back. Remember that? When you became Christians, when I presented the gospel to you, when you responded by faith, do you remember what happened? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? Now, think, let's, you know what? These are Galatians. Galatians. They are not Jewish people. They do not have the law. They do not even know what the law is. They know a few things about it. They don't read the Old Testament scriptures. But there's this new form of teaching that's invaded their church. And they sort of feel obligated that they need to work harder uh, to please God. And... Paul is reminding them. He said, "Do you remember this experience? You foolish Galatians, didn't you even you didn't even know the law? The truth is, you received the Holy Spirit when you placed your faith in Christ, just like all believers do. Every generation, it's all the same. This is what Paul points out in Ephesians chapter one, and this is still how it works today. By the way." And Paul says to the church at Ephesus, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. They were included. They weren't included before, but now they are included. There's a picture here. They got united with Christ. They joined with Christ. This would be the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and Paul doesn't even use the word here. They now um, have been included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So they heard this message. What's that message? Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. Message of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. That's how you got the Holy Spirit. You believed, okay? You placed your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. Who was a, and this may be worth the price of the course right here, verse 14 for some of you, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. An inheritance until the day of redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul is wordy, but here's the deal. when God gave, If you place your faith in Christ, God gave you the Holy Spirit, and it was a deposit, it was a down payment, and it was guaranteeing your eternal salvation forever and ever and ever and ever. It was a down payment. It was a guarantee. The Holy Spirit came as a guarantee God wants us to be confident about our relationship with him, confident about the future so that we can live by faith and follow by faith. Uh, Third question. After beginning by the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So Paul is thinking... Okay, let's go back to your salvation one more time. Let's go back and think about this. Uh, are you keeping your salvation? Okay, you placed your faith in Jesus. Uh, you you uh, are saved from the penalty of, of your sin, but are you now keeping your salvation by trying to be good, by trying to be good enough to keep it? Um, by human effort. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh. This is foolish. What's wrong with you? You began by faith. Now you're going to keep the law. You're going to add all of these rules that God never intended for you. You're going to bring in all this effort. And you're just, here's, it's, they're really, uh, it's really kind of a, they view it as kind of a sanctification. That is, we, we think in terms of when I placed my faith in Christ, God saved me, he set me apart for him, that, that's a sense of sanctification. We Actually, in theology, we call it positional sanctification. And that now we're in a process, we're supposed to become more like Jesus, we're supposed to grow and mature, we're supposed to be spiritual growth. We call this progressive sanctification i and become more and more like Jesus. One day, ultimately, I'll be in Jesus's presence, we call that ultimate sanctification, and I'll be like him. Now, here's what the galatians are getting confused about they're saying we're going to believe in jesus and we're going to be really good and get better and it's going to please god and they're they're not talking about walking in the power of the holy spirit they're just talking about trying harder this is the great things that christians do they get the gospel is by faith but then they try to live the christian life in their own strength And sometimes people get the attitude when they try to live our lives in our own strength. It's like being good. I'm sort of entitled for God to do good things for me. I'll be good for him. He does good for me. And it's not about grace. It's not about his strength. It's not about acknowledging what God is doing. It's about our own effort. Paul's point here is you begin by faith and you live the Christian life by faith. Romans 1.16, we've, we've looked at this passage before, but let's one more time. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, that good news that Christ died for our sins, because it is the power of God that brings salvation. It's a God thing. It's not a human effort thing. To everyone who believes, first the Jew, then to the Gentiles, for both. It's not just for a special group. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, we often get the first part. We forget the last part. It's the whole life. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I came to faith in Christ September 29, 1974. It was by faith I was declared righteous, saved from the penalty of my sin. And then God wanted me to live by faith. Day after day after day. That doesn't save me. It helps me become more like Jesus. The righteous, if you're a righteous person, it's just normal to live by faith. In fact, that's how God designed your life is for you to live by faith. So the Christian life is not about rule keeping. It's about living by faith in obedience to Christ. Fourth question. Thanks for asking, have you suffered so much for nothing? Verse 4. Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, so Paul is reminding them of their history. Something that it's not mentioned here, but we go back in the book of Acts and we find out they they became Christians and they under experienced some. They became the persecuted church. They became they were under persecution because a group of Jewish people who were angry at Paul and the message of the gospel came in and began to persecute the, church, the Galatian churches. We find that in Acts 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch. Antioch is, uh, is the strongest church, uh, church-planting church. It's a Gentile church in Syria. Uh, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. That's a Galatian church. And won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Next slide. They preached the gospel in the city and won a large number of disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. Lystra and Iconium are Galatian churches. Strengthening the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Because persecution can happen, and you receive the gospel by grace, and you live for Christ, and there's no guarantee you won't have persecution. Sometimes life is really hard. Some of you know that, and you haven't experienced persecution. Paul is saying, don't you remember that? You just embraced it. You got it. You placed your faith in Christ. You were even willing to suffer persecution when you understood the gospel, Fifth question, this is the last question. Did God give his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe the gospel? Verse 5. So again, Paul says, I ask, does God give you his spirit? And does God work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing? They know the answer. Did miracles accompany the gospel when they heard it from Paul the first time? It did, Acts 14, verses 1 through 3. At Iconium, a Galatian church, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. That was Paul's evangelism strategy strategy. Paul was a Jewish man. He would go to the synagogue, he would read the Jewish scriptures, and he would identify the Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures and proclaim that Jesus is that Messiah and help Jewish people understand. Sometimes there were Gentiles present. And after he started in the synagogue, then he went to the city streets and he preached to Gentiles, Gentile being non- jewish person. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks, Greeks would be a Gentile, believed, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Next slide. So Paul and Barmer spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by Enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Miracles came with the preaching of the gospel. And the purpose of miracles was to get attention to God's message and God's work. And primarily with the Jewish audience. They were expecting signs, they were looking for miracles, and here they are. Wake up, Israel, your Messiah has come. It also was powerful for the Gentiles to see the miracles. Acts 14, verses 8 through 10, another situation. In Lystra, Galatian church, there sat a man who was lame. He had been there from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. He looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. And that man jumped up and began to walk. There was a miracle of God at the proclamation of the gospel, and this man responded and believed God. But it was about faith. His question, did, they, did God do miracles because these Galatians were working so hard at obeying the law? No, God was doing miracles because of people's faith. The Holy Spirit was working because of people's faith. And that's clearly Paul's point. The Galatians had gotten things confused. So now Paul's going to go to the Old Testament. You want to talk about the Old Testament. You want to talk about the law. You want to talk about good works. Let's go to the Old Testament, Paul says. And I'm going to give you an example. Some people receive God's promises, verses 6 through 9. Abraham of the Old Testament will be the example. And he says in verse 6, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So on your outline, consider how Abraham received God's promises by faith. We're going to look at Abraham. Consider Abraham, how how he received God's promises by faith. Um, Let me give you, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to look at Abraham, verses 4 through 6. Let me give you a little context here. God back in chapter 12, had promised to make Abraham great, that he would become a great nation, that, th- that the world would be blessed through Abraham, that he would have a certain, certain land and certain descendants, and God would bless him, and those who cursed him, God would curse. And this is going to become the Abrahamic covenant, okay? And this is really important. And by the way, it ties the entire Bible together from Genesis to Revelation, So Paul is going to go back to Abraham, our big hero, the hero of the Jewish people. So everybody has to listen because Abraham is the great patriarch of the Jewish people. And um, verse 15 or verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him. What the context I forgot to tell you here is, so God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation so Abraham begins to think about that. How is that going to happen? I, I mean, I'm old. My wife is old. It doesn't look good. I wonder if I should. And so he decides, maybe if I sort of adopt my my uh, servant, Eben, uh, Eliezer, maybe, um, maybe God wants to take my family lineage through him. And God says, nope, not going to do that. Later, Sarah's going to get her handmaid, her her servant, and going to bring him to Abraham. And so Abraham's going to get her pregnant. And then trying to sort of manipulate the promises of God. And God says, nope, he's got, he's got another way. But here's, the, here's what happens here. The word of the Lord came to him, Abraham, this man will not be your heir, but the son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Meaning, Abraham, you're old. Sarah, she's old. Your heir is going to come through you too. He took him outside. God took Abraham outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars, if you can indeed count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. So imagine you're Abraham. You go outside. You're in the desert. and You look up and you see the stars, and God says, count them. And you go, whoa, one, two, three, four, five, whoa. You know, you could get thousands, thousands, millions. Couldn't see them all. Next slide. Abraham believed the Lord, and he, it is God, credited to him as righteousness. Abraham responded by faith. This is why Abraham is such a big deal. God came to him, and Abraham responded by faith. He believed God. Now, it just wasn't a nice day, you know, just that he believed God. It says God Counted it to him as righteousness. God declared him righteous in the court of heaven. God justified him by his faith right here. This is Abraham's salvation experience. Okay? So, why is this important? Why is Paul spending so much time on this? Genesis chapter 17. So, this is later. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant. This is the Abrahamic covenant, the one that he's been working on since Genesis 12. You and your descendants. Now Abraham believes he's going to have descendants. You and your descendants after you for your generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants, going to be the Jewish people. After you, the covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. Oh, boy. That sounds like fun. Next slide. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael. It was the son he had had with Hagar. This was not the son of promise. And all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and he doesn't have a son yet, by the way. So why is this such a big deal? Well, remember, Abraham believed back in Genesis 15. Abraham was saved by faith in Genesis chapter 15. It had nothing to do with circumcision. But now the Jewish people, or the the Judaizers are coming along and saying, you've got to believe and be circumcised. Abraham was declared righteous without circumcision. Before circumcision, had nothing to do with his salvation. It had something to do with his walk with God. Believe me, it took faith to be circumcised when you're 99. I'm not 99, but... Okay. So, um, understand, this is uh, verses 7 through 9. Understand that we receive God's promises by faith. You're probably starting to catch on to that. Look at verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Paul wants us to see our connection back to Abraham. Abraham. The Jewish people understood their connection because Abraham was their great patriarch. Uh, Verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed and along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, this is... This is tying a lot of scripture together, but God was doing something really big in the Old Testament. He was not just setting aside a, a people, the Jewish people, for Himself. Uh, he was doing way more than that. He was preparing a way for all people. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 <laughs> and 3, this is part of the Abrahamic covenant I will make you a great nation, Abraham. He actually was calling him Abram here. He's, Abram's going to come to faith, and he's going to change his name to Abraham. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And here it is. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God had a big plan right here, and he's, the plan is, is through Abraham and his descendants, he would bless the whole entire world, not just the Jewish people, but the entire world. And guess who is the most important descendant of Abraham? His name is Jesus Christ. It's why the the genealogies, you know, you get bored reading genealogies and somebody begat somebody, oh great, and they did this, and then somebody else begat, and you know what? They're tracing that family lineage until we get to Jesus because we got to make sure that Jesus is a son of Abraham because that's what God said. And God wants the whole world to know that Jesus is the son of Abraham and that ties G- Jesus to Genesis 12:3. This is like big stuff, and uh, Paul is communicating that to the church. Okay, some people are confused. Uh, verse 10 through 12, some people are under a curse. First of all, uh, in verse 10, God has a standard. And uh, sometimes we don't like this, but God's standard is perfection. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. This is the hard thing about the law of the Old Testament. The law of the Old Testament was a measuring stick. There's a lot of great things about the law because it, it showed what was important to God It showed a lot of God's values, about God's morality, but it also was a measuring stick. And measuring sticks have a tendency to show you where you match up. And humans match up poorly with God's measuring stick, with perfection. And what the law does is it shows us what sin is, how we miss the mark, Um. Deuteronomy 27, 26 is that passage that Paul quotes in Galatians 3. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. And all the people shall say, Amen. If you don't carry out every one, there's a curse. Okay. Le- Leviticus 18:5. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. Um, you're going to keep the law, Galatians. You've got to live by them. You've got to be perfect. Jesus said, Matthew five forty-eight. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is still God's standard. Be perfect. Now, the good news is there was one perfect person, and his name was Jesus. God wants us to know that we fall short and that we need him. Because He made all the difference. The Old Testament looked forward to Jesus taking on our sin. Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. The Jewish people got knew this. This was for them. All of them, like sheep, had gone astray. They'd missed God's standards. Each of us has turned to his own way. Each had been selfish. This applies to the whole world. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. They didn't understand who this person was, but it will be Jesus. God will take the iniquity, the sin of the entire world, and lay that sin on Jesus. Um, Verses 11 and 12, good works fail to justify anyone. Paul says it pretty clearly. He says, no one who relies on the law, is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. We saw that in Romans 1. It's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It's mentioned four times in the Bible. The righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. And the main point is no one who relies on good works Even today, no one who relies on good works will be justified, that is, declared righteous like Abraham. The righteous will live by faith. The only way anyone can receive righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul supports this in Titus uh, chapter 3. Verses 4 and 5, he says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because of our performance. It wasn't because of human effort. It wasn't because we were really good people that we were saved. It was because of God's mercy. By the way, mercy and grace are a part of, what, part of God's love. It was because of God's mercy. It was because of God's grace that he saved us. Not uh, because of the righteous things, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. Um, he cleansed us by the work of the Holy Spirit when he caused us to be born again. It is the work of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not human effort. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, this is a well-known passage. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that anyone should boast. So, I hope I'm making the point here. Saved by grace through faith, that's it. Okay? What about good works? What about good works? Verse 10 says, right after verse 9 in this passage, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yes, God wants us to do good works. We were created in Christ Jesus. That means when we were born again, we were given a purpose, and that purpose is to do good works in the power of the Holy Spirit, in God's strength, so that it brings attention to God, not attention to us for our effort, but it's his work. We we ask God for strength. We 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 ask, we ask God for our needs in prayer. We rely on him uh, for providing for us, for directing us, for giving us wisdom to help us be good parents, to help us to be good employees, to help us deal with sin problems, and that God answers. So It's all about God getting the honor. So, let's, uh, last section, verses 13 through 14. We're going to land the plane here. Everyone has a choice, verses 13 and 14. Everyone has a choice. God's grace for us is demonstrated in redemption, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is grace. This is God's mercy. This is the work of God in our salvation. Christ redeemed us. God's grace is God's unmerited favor because of his unconditional love for us. That's God's grace. Uh, remember when we, uh, one time we gave you the... Um, it's God's riches at Christ's expense this is another way to talk about grace. God's riches, you get God's riches. And it costs Christ, it costs Jesus. Uh, to redeem... Christ redeemed us from the curse. To redeem means to buy back. He paid for it. He paid for the sin penalty. The price that was paid, the redemption price, was Christ's life of infinite value. Okay. little aside here. This is important. How could Jesus pay for your sin? How could he pay for the sins of the entire world? How could he pay for the sins you haven't even committed yet? Does that sound right? How could he pay? You're not dead yet. You probably are going to fail him sometime in the future, maybe a lot. How could he pay for your sins? It's because of who he is. He is God. His life is infinitely valuable. How many people are there in the world right now? I went on the world population computer and checked this morning. There are set about 7.4 billion people. You know, if you go there, you can watch the pages. There's like 120-some million born this year, and there's like 50-some million have died. And the, and, the, and the numbers just keep moving, and then the total popu- world population, it's, a, it's all statistics and it's estimated. But you know what? I bet it's not very far off. Jesus died for the sins, for sure, of 7.4 billion people. Also for the sins of people who have not yet been born. Some of those are your kids, will be your kids. And all the people who have been born from Adam and Eve on, and his life was infinitely valuable. We get that? This is huge. What God has given us, it is by grace the curse comes as a result of our sin Um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law for us Romans 6 23 just simply says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord the curse are the wages of our sin it is death death is physical death as well as spiritual death. It's separation from God. And here it's eternal separation from God. Jesus called it hell. Je- uh, Jesus also became a curse for us in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For his written "Cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. The law brings us a curse. The wages of our sin brings us a curse, death. And Jesus uh, became a curse. He was crucified. He was placed on a wooden cross in public, uh, in a public display. Uh, The the Old Testament clearly taught that when a criminal was uh, executed publicly, they were displayed publicly, like on a wooden pole or wooden stake, and uh, it was a disgrace. It was a scandal. Uh, It was a total embarrassment, and you must bury that person uh, before the sun goes down because it it, uh, uh, brings a curse on the earth if you allow a body to remain above, according to the Old Testament. That's what Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23 teach, that um, cursed is anybody who hangs on a pole. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a wooden stake or a wooden pole. In 1 Corinthians ch- uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, Paul writes, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Christ Crucified, this whole thing, Jesus being nailed to the cross, a stumbling block to the Jews. Why was that? It's because of Deuteronomy 21, that anybody who hangs on a tree, hangs on a pole, is cursed of God. They understood that. And that's exactly what we sang about this morning. Uh, Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on that cross. Accused in absence of wrong. My sin washed away in your blood. Um, too much to make sense of it all. I know that your love breaks my fall. The scandal of grace. There it is. The scandal of grace. You died in my place so my soul will live. The word for scandal, the Greek word is scandalon, And it means stumbling block for the Jews. It was a scandal for the Jewish people. They would hear the gospel and they'd say, that can't be, that can't be because he's cursed. He's he's cursed of God. And so they struggled with that. Isaiah 53, uh, Isaiah foresaw this. He says, surely uh, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God. Cursed, right there. Stricken by God and afflicted by God. He was cursed. Um, Let's go on to D. Jesus' purchase of our redemption places us in the stream of the promises that God gave to Abraham. He says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promises of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised to Abraham's descendants in Jeremiah 31. We call it the new covenant. It was a sign of the new covenant that God would send his Holy Spirit. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. That's what happened when people come to faith in Jesus Christ. He sends his Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit because of God's grace, because of his favor. It is his work. And that spirit connects us with the lineage of Abraham. Abraham, the man of faith. That connects us with Hebrews chapter 11, the people of faith. Without faith, it is still true, it is impossible to please God. We have promises that connect us with the new heavens and the new earth. We have promise of God's eternal kingdom where Jesus Christ will reign as Lord of Lord and King of Kings. So, I'm going to just end by saying don't be foolish about grace. Don't be confused about grace. Understand what God has given to you, what God offers you. Know that we receive the promises of God by faith. It's not by work. It's not by human effort. We don't improve our status by trying to be good. We please God by living by faith. And all of us have a choice to live by faith or to not live by faith. If you don't live by faith, you choose to live under a curse. That's it. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you uh, for your goodness to us, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, and we. Sometimes easily take Jesus for granted. We often know a lot of right things, a lot of facts about the Christian faith. We believe them to be true, but we have a hard time sometimes trusting you with our lives on a daily basis to live by faith. Thank you that you've given us resources. Thank you that you have connected us with all the promises for your people and God when we see um, how great your love is how big grace is when you think of 7 billion people and Jesus died for them and how many of those people don't know you yet Lord give us up a heart, give us a passion to share the good news with those people we love so they will have the opportunity to respond by grace. May we be people of prayer because when we pray, we live by faith. May we be people of prayer who ask for your help, ask for you to work so that people can come to faith in Christ. May we be people of prayer so that you can use us and that we would be available. Please remind us that without faith, it's impossible to please you. For Jesus' sake, amen.